Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Romans chapter 10, and we're going to check out a passage of Scripture that helps us identify the necessity of believing in the resurrection. Romans chapter 10. You guys got your seatbelts on? I don't think you do. I think we got to click our imaginary seatbelts this morning. You guys ready? On the count of three, now listen, do not click, do not help your partner out next to you until yours is on. But here we go. On the count of three, you put your imaginary seatbelt on. One, two, three. Here we go. Click it and let's go. All right. You are, you are in store for the ride of your life. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Here's what it says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning that proclaims to us, Lord, the reality of what this day means for each and every one of us. a necessary thing for us to believe in our heart with all sincerity by faith that Jesus you did exactly what you said you would do 2,000 years ago you rose from the dead and when you did you conquered sin and death when you stepped out of that tomb You proclaim to the world that eternal life can be had through you and you alone. And thus our confession comes that you are Lord, King of our hearts, King of our lives. We ask you this morning, Lord, to help us understand how it is that we're saved and what you've done for us. And we ask you to just open up our hearts to you this morning. Lord, we pray that you would, Father, bring faith to those who may be skeptical, may be doubting the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we ask you to come now and just speak into our lives. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the Apostle Paul is the guy that wrote this passage, and he, and, and he, inspired by the Holy Spirit, everything that was written by the Bible, I'm just going to preface this right now, was written by the Holy Spirit through man. The writer of this particular uh, passage is the Apostle Paul, and he tells us something very, very powerful and life-transforming here. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, he tells us the how-to of salvation, what we must do in order to, to be saved. There are two non-negotiables in our text this morning, and what I want you to understand is neither of them have anything to do with you becoming a better version of yourself. You know that neither of these things that you must do have anything to do with you becoming a better person. They have nothing to do with you trying to live out the law. They have nothing to do with you trying to become less broken. Because the reality is, we are all broken people. Last time I checked, broken cannot be fixed outside of only God and God alone. Oh, he's the only one that can fix this kind of brokenness. Listen, you can duct tape some things together. You might be able to get them work. But in this case, listen, you're hopeless outside of God, outside of what Christ has done for us. And so... I hope that that brings you some relief this morning that, you know, there's not anything that you can do to to receive salvation, that you can't, again, you can't fix what is broken. And you're probably here this morning thinking, good, good, because I've tried. I tried to fix that, and it doesn't work. I've tried to become a better person, a better version of me, and, and, uh, you know, it just doesn't work. Well, that's a good place to be. 
is a great place to be because it pushes you to Jesus. And that's the whole point. You know, back in the Old Testament, the entire point of the law, when God was relating to the nation of Israel, the point was to show them that they cannot reach God on their own. They cannot. And I'm thankful that, you know, he's revealed that to us through the word this morning, that we cannot make it to him on our own. Some of you might be here this morning, you might be thinking, oh, but, but I'm a pretty good person. You know, you're measuring yourself against the world and against what everybody else kind of looks like, and you're thinking, well, I'm pretty good. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't steal, cheat, and, you know, kill people and those kinds of things, so, so I'm pretty good. I can probably, you know, I believe God is going to uh, measure me based on how I've reacted to things in the world and, you know, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Anybody ever thought that before? That was me before I came to Christ. And I'm so thankful that I did not die before the truth was revealed to me that that is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. If you're here today, this morning, and you're thinking that somehow your good deeds, whatever it is that you do and whatever you consider good, will somehow get you to God, you are 100% deceived. And God wants to reveal that to you this morning because he loves you and he cares about you. He wants you to understand that our definition of good is not his definition of good. His definition of good is perfect. Now, the Bible tells us, the, the same guy that wrote this passage tells us how we're saved in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you look at that passage, it tells us a few very, very important things. Number one, that salvation, the act of being saved, is it, it comes by Grace. What is grace? It is God's unmerited favor for you. Some have explained it like this. It's getting what you don't deserve. That's grace. Getting what you don't deserve. The manifest grace of God, which you need to understand, what is that grace? That grace is Jesus Christ. That is the manifest grace of God. Jesus Christ is the grace of God. So God has given us his son. What must we do? We must believe in him. The Bible tells us here it's by grace through faith. Faith is wholehearted belief without seeing. But contrary to popular belief, it is not blind faith. God is not asking you to believe in something without giving you enough information to believe it. Amen? The, the world, the world, you know, kind of, positions us as people that are just following blindly, like we have no information. Listen to me. We use faith every day in every single relationship that we have, in every aspect of our lives. We operate by faith. Let me explain. So when somebody comes to you, a loved one, a family member, a friend, or whatever it might be, and, and they begin to describe to you a story that happened to them earlier that, oh, yeah, you should have seen this. Here's what happened and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, uh-huh, 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 because that's what we do, right? Uh-huh. And then, and then what ends up happening is at the end of that story, you say, oh, yeah, I believe that. What are you doing? You're operating by faith. Listen, you weren't there. You didn't see what happened. But here's the thing is, you're operating not blindly, but based on the information that you've been given. And the information that you've been given and your ability to believe is based on what? Your trust for that person. Do you trust them? Do you trust the person that's telling you the story? If you do, then you will believe the information that you're giving. That's, that's faith. That's what it means to, to, to operate by faith. The question is this morning is, do you trust God and what his word says? Although we weren't there 2,000 years ago, his word makes a declaration to us that Jesus Christ came, that he died, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. Do you believe it? That is the question. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We say that with me this morning? Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. There is no, there is no salvation in, in any religious act 
in partaking of communion and in baptism. There is no salvation in anything that we can humanly do because it just told us that it's not by works. It's not by anything that we can do physically. It's by what has been done for us. You see, it's God's grace through your belief in what Jesus did for you that you're saved, period. You have to trust him in that. Now, what must you do then to receive this, this, this salvation? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 tells us two things. We must confess Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, before we unpack this, I want you to understand that Paul has spent, like he didn't just pop this scripture right into this, you know, like he spent eight chapters, 5,375 words in the ESV version, by the way, to get to this point to where he declares this truth. And so I just want to give you a brief summary of what he said so far. He begins in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and he tells us the problem that exists for every person. He tells us this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word all there means everyone, every single person has, has sinned against God. We have all done things that violate God's law. That's called sin. It means to miss the mark. Once we've sinned, we can't outdo it. We can't undo it. It's done. And we are guilty before the Lord. We're, we're stuck and labeled as a sinner. Because God is holy, sin separates us from us. Exodus chapter 32, verse 33 says, But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. What is the book that he's speaking of? He's speaking about the book of life. And he's saying that your name will be blotted out of the book of life if you sinned. Well, it looks like it's a hopeless situation for us then, isn't it? If we believe everything the Bible has to say, and we can't just take parts of it, right? We have to believe it all. That means I'm stuck because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nothing I can do about that. I, I'm a sinner, and I need help. Now, what is God's reaction to this? And thankfully, Paul paints the picture for us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he said, But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died. Now, this, is, this is incredible, folks. This is one of my favorite passages in the Scripture because it doesn't say I had to become good enough. For God to love me. It says he loved me right where I am. The God of heaven did the unthinkable. He gave his son, his one and only son, as a sacrifice for us so that you and I could be made right with God. Now, this is literally unbelievable. Who would do that? Who would give their son over for people who will, majority of people will reject God. Majority of people will shake their fist at him. Majority of people will ignore what he has to say. Who would do that? Who would do that for a few? Only God. And why would he do it? Because he loves us. Listen, although you and I have sinned and we've been separated from God, he still loved us. He still loved us. What you need to understand this morning is God does not hate sinners. I think that is portrayed on almost every media outlet that you can find. And, and it's by people who are supposed to be representing God. But let me just say to you, if, that, if you've ever heard that, that's absolutely false. God does not hate sinners. God loves sinners. Now, sinners hate sinners, right? Sinners hate sinners, but God does not hate sinners. He loves sinners. That's why he sent his son for us. So where does that leave us? What is the reality? Okay, I'm a sinner. God loves me. He sent his son. Where does that leave me? That leaves you with a decision. You get to choose what it is that you would like to do with this information. And there's repercussions on both ends. There's a repercussion and there's a reward. Paul writes it out for us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. You see, sin kills. It can't produce anything but death. 
However, because God loves us, he sent his son as a sin offering for you and I to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. That's called substitutionary atonement. That's somebody taking your place. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took your place. And he died for you. And so the Bible tells us here that, and he became the only way, by the, by the way. That's contrary to popular belief. There is only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You can only inherit eternal life through him. We absolutely need his atonement. If you try and stand before God in your own works, what you're doing is standing before God in religion. Religion cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. There are so many people that, are, that, that, that will stand, give their lives up for a religion, but they will not worship the God who created them. They will, they will attempt to be made righteous on their own. And they will reject the gift that God has given us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life is through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were placed there, the Lord gave them this command, don't eat of the tree of the good and evil. If you do, you shall surely die. Right? He, he, he explained to them the wages of sin immediately. And he just said, look, there, he told Adam, and Adam was supposed to tell his wife, Maybe she didn't get the memo. I'm pretty sure she did, but, you know, who knows? But here's the reality. They disobeyed the Lord. And the enemy tempted them in this very thing. Do you not think that the enemy will tempt you the same way with God's word? The, 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 the assassination of God's word happened in the Garden of Eden, and it will continue to happen throughout your life. He will continue to try and assassinate God's word he said, oh, did God surely say that you would die if you eat the tree? Oh, he's just trying to hold you back. Isn't that what he tells you? Isn't that what he tells me? That's why it took me 24 years to come to Christ because I was being duped by the enemy. Oh, you want to have fun? You don't want to go do that? Oh, yeah, that was real fun. Listen, this is living. What I was doing was living in hopelessness, really. The reality is, is that Adam and Eve, man, when they took a bite of that fruit, whatever it was, they died immediately. There's two kinds of death that the Bible speaks of. There's spiritual death and then there is physical death. They died immediately, spiritually. They were separated from God in the Garden of Eden. And they also began the slow process of dying physically. Death is really the wages of sin, folks. It's the only thing that it can produce. That's why the Bible tells us that, you know, we're, we're born into this situation, so we have to be born again into eternal life. God told, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders of his day, he came to him and said, how, how can I be saved? Nicodemus, uh, Jesus said to him in John chapter 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We must be born again. Because you are hopeless if you are not. You're stuck in the same situation, Adam and Eve, where you are separated from God because you are a sinner. How do I do that? How do I become born again? Romans chapter 10, verse 9. By confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's called the gospel. And boy, is that good news for dead people, is it not? You were dead, and yet Jesus says you can be made alive. By what? Not by working hard, but by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Why confession? Why must we confess Jesus as our Lord? Well, there are many reasons. And by the way, everyone will one day. That is for sure. But there are many reasons why we must do this, but the most important reason is because you confess what your heart believes. You confess with your mouth what your heart 
believes. Jesus said it's from the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. The reality of confession is, is, is really what's going on in your heart. You're confessing what you really believe. Paul stated in Romans 10.10 here, he said, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You state with your lips what is in your heart. A confession, then, is a simple statement about what you believe. Now, in legal terms, a confession is an acknowledgement of guilt. I'm confessing that I'm guilty. Very similarly to what we must do as confessors here, recognizing our situation that we're sinners. But, but also from a biblical standpoint, this word to confess, it literally means to acknowledge as Lord. It's literally declaring. It's, it's a submission to Jesus, and you're saying, here, here's the keys to my life, Jesus. Here's my bank account. Here's everything that I am. I'm delivering it to you. I'm going to trust you the rest of my life. That's what it means to confess him with more. Now, you better believe that he rose from the dead if you're going to do that, right? And so you, it, it starts with your heart. It starts with believing in your heart. Now, the word Lord here is important. It's not just a title. It's a name. In a lot of cases, it's just a title, but not in this case. This is the equivalent of, of, G, uh, of Paul saying that Jesus is God. This is the equivalent of him saying that he is Yahweh, Jehovah. It, it's the exact equivalent of the Hebrew word Jehovah here when he's talking about confessing Jesus as Lord. It's a total surrender to him. So if we want to be saved, we must confess, right? Jesus is Lord and believe. And that's where the problem comes in, right? That's where the doubt comes in. That's where we start to question, did he really raise from the dead? Was he really sinless? Was he married? Did he have kids? I mean, I'm seeing this on the History Channel. I don't, I don't know what to believe here. Believe the Bible. Believe what the Bible says. Listen, extra biblical material, I, I would discount totally. I wouldn't, and, you know, when you, when you watch a spiritual, you know, movie, something that's depicting the Bible, watch it with the Bible open, please. I hope those of you that have seen some of the, some of the newest, like, biblical movies that have come out, like Exodus, I hope you're like, what is Genghis Khan doing in there? How did he get into this movie? I'm pretty sure he wasn't there. You know, you're like, What? Listen, watch the movie with your Bible open. Not, not, to, not to totally discount, you know. I mean, it's entertainment, right? I hope you're not getting your theology from Hollywood. <laughs> That's a problem. But, but, but we, should, we, should, we should know the Bible well enough to know, like, yeah, that's not actually how it happened. Even the Passion of the Christ we watched on um, Friday night. And many of the things that are depicted in there have a Catholic slant, right? I mean, there's that, this picture of Mary, and she's glorified in, in some scenes in the movie, and it's like, well, okay. I mean, I can get over those things because I know the Bible. I know the Bible will never elevate Mary, but the Bible will elevate Jesus Christ. So we watch these things with, with, with our Bibles open, but we have to believe. That means that we have to have confidence and to have faith in have faith in what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is Easter important? Because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation, folks. The Bible tells us that we are futile. Our belief system is futile if there is no resurrection. That we're still stuck in our sins, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, you're Faith is futile and you are still in your sins. There is a necessity for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is necessary for us to be forgiven for our sins. For us to be 
justified before God. Romans chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, it says this. It says, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was raised, he was delivered up for our trespasses. He was sentenced to death for you and I. He was, he was raised for our justification. That word means to be made right with God, to be brought into right relationship with God. Now, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we can't be made right with God. We cannot be justified by the very words of God himself. He says right here, he was raised for our justification. The resurrection of Jesus Christ declares to us that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient, that his blood is enough to atone for your sin and my sin and every other sin that ever has existed before or, or, or will ever exist. His blood is enough to cover it. And we can be justified if we confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I want my sins forgiven. I want my sins to be cast as far as east is from the west that God would remember them no more. Yes, I want to change, and yes, I want to live for the Lord, but I, that's not the way that I'm forgiven. I need to come to Christ, and He gives me the forgiveness that I need and the power then to live the life that I'm called to live. It's the only way, folks. What does justification mean for you and I? It means peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What each of us must understand is that before the Father, we are at enmity, the Bible says. We're enemies. Wait a second. Didn't you just say God loves us? Yeah. You remember the teaching Jesus gave, love your enemies? He does that. You believe that? God actually does that. He loves his enemies with a love that is uncomprehendable, incomprehensible, whichever the word is. It's, it's unbelievable that God would love his enemies the way that he does, that God would make a way for his enemies. Like who in the world is sitting on the other side of the battleground saying, how can I save them from dying? How can I make them win in this? Who does that? God does that. Why? Because he loves us. That's why Jesus came to settle the debt that we could not pay. He came to bring peace that we could not get any other way with God. And the way that we receive that is by confessing and by believing. And it starts in our heart. It starts at the heart level. This is the place this isn't speaking about your physical heart, the pumping blood. This is speaking about the centrality of who you are. You know, your, your mind, really. In the, in the Jewish culture, when they were speaking about the heart, they were speaking about the mind. They were speaking about the central place that makes your decisions, that hosts your emotions, that, that you know, all of these things together takes information and, and logically works out whatever it's working out based on the information that's been given. It starts in the heart. If we don't believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the, from the dead, then our confession will not be real. Our confession will not be real. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have a theology degree on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have to have faith. You have to believe the information that you've been given that Jesus really did what he said he was going to do. If you can't believe the resurrection, how can you believe the crucifixion? If you can't believe the crucifixion, then how can you believe any of this? You can't. Listen, the Bible is not only an inspired word, inspired book, but it also is a historical book, folks. And feel free to look up some of the historians of this day and of the New Testament that you can look up, and they're not their Jewish historian, Josephus. You can look up a fourth century, uh, you know, uh, historian, Eusebius. He, 
these guys declare the very things that are written in the Bible in the same format, and they declare these things. Josephus speaks about the crucifixion of Christ. He speaks about the resurrection of Christ, not in the sense of trying to prove the Bible, but just as an historical account. How many of you guys believe George Washington was a real person? Anybody here? You believe he had wooden teeth? Anybody? Why? Why do you believe that? Because you have a book that tells you that happened, and yet, I don't know, the really, really smart people in our world today will say, yeah, but that's different. Oh, is it? Is that different? And in fact, God's word is infallible. Everything that is described in it is accurate, 100% accurate. There are no contradictions. If you find one, show me. I'd love to see it. We can believe what the Word of God says, folks. Listen, there's power in the Word of God, but it is activated by your faith. Jesus was inhibited in doing miracles in people's lives because they didn't believe Him. The question is, what could Jesus do in your life if you believed Him? What could Jesus do in your life if you took Him in His Word? Number one, He could save you, number one. Most importantly, He could save you and give you eternal life. That's the first thing He could do. But what else could He do? Where could he take you if you really believed what he said? Where could he take you if you really said, you know what, nothing's impossible with you. I'm going to walk that out in my life. I'm going to believe you in the hard things and everybody else is watching and you're just saying, hey, I'm going to trust you at your word. Listen, I hope you're doing that because you can absolutely do it. You're trusting him for eternity. Can you not trust him with your temporary life here? He's able, folks. He wants to work, but we have to believe him. Confession, confession is a reality of believing in your heart. Believing is how we're saved. So how do I know that my confession is real? So don't you love that God just continually lays these things out for us like we don't have to figure it out? How do I know if I'm saved? The Bible says by a changed life. By a changed life. You've changed and I'm not just talking about, like, like, I'm talking about life, people that were dead that were made alive. That's a massive change. I don't care if you're raised in the church or, you know, if you're a kid that was raised up in the church and you know the Bible verses and all that kind of stuff. If you haven't come to Christ, you're still dead. You're not saved because you're born into a Christian family. Not a single person is born into Christianity. They are born again into Christianity. And so... How do I know I'm saved? It's by a changed life. There will be a change. Listen, it might be subtle, but there will be a change. You can't be dead and be made alive and just be like, oh, there's no change. <laughs> there's a huge change. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, but if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen, if you have truly believed, then you will be born again. God will raise you from being spiritually dead, and he will make you alive. And things will look differently. You will see things differently. You will speak differently. You will walk differently. Why? Because the Bible says so. Listen, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and transformed his body into the ability for him to walk through walls and all of that kind of stuff is the same spirit that comes and resides inside of you when you're born again. And you were filled with a power from God on high to live the life that he's calling you to live. It's called walking in newness of life. The old has passed away. The new has come. And the Holy Spirit is the power with inside of us to do it. How do I know I'm saved? Has your life changed? Listen, I'm convinced that there are many, many people in our culture that say a prayer, and they say, oh, yeah, I did that once. I confessed Jesus is Lord, and I believed that he was raised from the dead. That got me nowhere. Listen, for 24 years, I lived in darkness. And then one night, when I accepted Christ, my life transformed. 
changed, totally different. What I'm telling you, and, and, and every one of us in this room, if you're really a believer, that's happened to you. Your, your desires have changed. Your hunger for God has changed. You want to do what's right. You don't even know why. Like, what is this? It's because you're, you're new. Because God's come inside you. That's why. Now, I'm convinced there's many people that have prayed a prayer that it was not real. It was not real. That's why we have statistics in our culture. Although they are dropping, 70-some percent of people proclaim to be Christian, proclaim to be believers, and yet less than 7% of people believe in the core um, foundational truths of Christianity. Listen, the reality is there is a lot of false messages out there, folks. There is only one gospel. There is only one message that can bring you to life, and it was the message that Jesus Christ taught, and the disciples then said, you know, Jesus said, hey, do you guys want to leave me? And he said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. And they were filled with the words of life, and they took the words of life into the world. And the words of life are continuing to circle throughout the world even to this day. But here's the thing is there's a lot of false gospels out there. There's a lot of gospels that are not true. That will just say, hey, just pray the prayer, and you'll be good, and you'll have your ticket, and you can go to heaven. And, and here's the thing is the reality is, yes, you will go to heaven if you really pray the prayer and confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. But that is the caveat. Have you really done that? Have you really, really, do you really believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Do you really believe, do you really confess him as Lord? Who's controlling your life? And I'm not, you're not going to do this perfectly. But, 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 but the question you have to ask yourself in this moment is, did I really believe? Do I really believe? Is he really my Lord? That's the question we have to ask ourselves, folks. Paul says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's a serious thing. Right, we're talking about eternity here. And the reality is, is God wants you to be uh, with him. That's why he sent his son. How do I know if I'm saved? Has there been a change in your life? Are you walking in newness? Not perfectly, but has something changed? It's all about belief. Jesus told Martha when her brother died, Lazarus. He told her some, a couple truths that she thought she understood, but she didn't. He said in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never died. Do you believe this? And of course, she went on to give her own theological understanding of what that meant. Jesus was making a declaration to her. Number one, that he is God. He said, I am. That's the name of God. But number two, what he came to do. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. There is no resurrection and life outside of Jesus Christ, folks. Jesus was calling Martha to belief in who he claimed to be. He must, we must believe in him. If we do, then we will overcome the grave and we will be made at peace with God just like he was. It has to come from your heart. It can't come from emotion. Although, it can be highly emotional in that moment when you declare Jesus as your Lord. But the driving force has to be belief. It cannot be emotion. The pastor said this, and it really related to me, and I feel really bad about this, so I think I should say that prayer. I know that's called, godly, that's called worldly sorrow. But there is a sorrow that leads to repentance, and it's godly sorrow. It's the kind of sorrow that says, God, I am so sorry that I've blown it before you. And it's a recognition of who we are before him, right? But it's also, in the same way, a celebration because we know that we too can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So it's a recognition and 
a, a celebration. You got to put all your eggs in Jesus' basket, folks. It's by grace through faith, not of yourselves, lest anyone boast. It's through Jesus Christ. Listen, we're all broken. Nothing you can do, nothing I can do about that. What we can do is trust in Jesus who can change everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. It absolutely matters, folks. Why should I believe that? Can I give you three reasons? And then I'm going to close. Number one, because Jesus said he would. Number one, because Jesus said he would. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He taught his disciples this over and over again. That he would raise again from the dead. If he does not raise, then he's a liar. And you cannot trust anything else that he says. First and foremost, why should we believe that, that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus said he would rise again from the dead. Number two. Because of personal witness. The disciples of Jesus saw him resurrected. Remember the women were coming down to the tomb that day? They were going to anoint his dead body. They weren't coming to, because they thought he was alive. In fact, on the way, they were wondering, how are we going to get the stone out of the way? But they were coming by faith. And guess what? When they got there, he wasn't there. The tomb was open. Jesus was gone. The stone was rolled away, not because Jesus had not to get Jesus out, but so that we could get in, so that we could see that it was an empty tomb. These women ran back and told Peter and John. They then went and confirmed that the tomb was really empty. And this news made, it, made its way back through all the disciples. There was witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Hey, so much so that the Jews had to make up a story about what happened to the body of Jesus. We have it recorded for us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had, ta all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while they were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and, and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, this is a ridiculous story. There is no way that these blue-collar fishermen and tax collectors could overtake Roman soldiers. It's just absolutely ridiculous. None of these guys were military guys. The reality is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And there were eyewitnesses' accounts. Jesus over, appeared to over 500 people in that 40-day period that he was alive. Listen, we ought to believe because Jesus said he would rise again and because his disciples saw him. And finally, because 10 out of 11 of the disciples gave their lives up for it. Who would give their life up for a lie? Who would give their life up for something to preserve a lie, folks? Nobody would do that. They were killed brutally, brutally martyred for the gospel. How would they stand firm in their faith in those moments? Because they saw the risen Christ. That's why. There's three reasons why you should believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It happened. The, the other disciple... The other apostle, the 11th, the 12th was Judas. He hung himself. Listen, the 11th was going to be martyred too, but he wouldn't die. They boiled him in hot oil, and he would not die because God wasn't finished with him yet, so they exiled him to the island of Patmos. His name is John. And John wrote the book of Revelation for us so that we understood all of the things that are yet to come. God's in control of our lives even when 
people are trying to take them. There's three legitimate reasons why we should believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, from the fall of mankind, from day one, God promised the Savior. His name is Jesus. He said Jesus is going to be bruised. And obviously we know what that means. That means he's going to be crucified. He's going to be laid in a tomb, but he will rise again from the dead. He will crush the head of the serpent, and that's exactly what he's done for us, folks. There is no other religion that can make the claims that Jesus made. No other religion. That's why there is no other way. The graves of, of Buddha, the graves of Muhammad, of Charles Darwin, and the like, their remains of their dead bodies are still in graves. But our God and Savior, was em- his tomb was emptied on the third day. He was resurrected, and he's alive in this moment, preparing a place for you and I, for everyone who will believe. Do you believe it? One last thing. He didn't, he didn't raise again from the dead to start a new religion. That's what you need to understand. This thing we call Christianity is not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. We're followers of Jesus Christ, not a religion. And if that's your concept, then you need to understand that you are in relationship with God. It's not religion. Religion cannot save you. Again, religion is man's way of reaching out to God. Relationship is God's, God reaching out to man. And we're in relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the question for you today. Are you in that relationship? Have you truly confessed? Do you really believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Or do you believe another version of a Jesus? Listen, the only Jesus that you ought to believe in is the one that was crucified, that was buried, and that rose again on the third day. If you haven't given your life to Christ this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. That's what this time is about, folks, as we gather together as the body. And yes, we celebrate the resurrected Christ, but we also at the very same time want to extend an invitation that God extended to us through his son, Jesus Christ. His hand reaching down to us saying, are you in the relationship that you should be in? Are you following me religiously or are you following me because you're in relationship with me? That's the question for you this morning. It all comes down to one thing, folks. It comes down to belief in Jesus and who he is. Do you believe it? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? I pray so. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for your goodness in our lives, for giving us this truth to celebrate this morning, Lord. Words seem so inadequate to express our hearts to you today, Lord. How can we say thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us? How can we give you more glory and honor with our lives, Lord? You deserve it. You've done so much. You've given us what we don't deserve. You've withheld what we do deserve. You sent your son on our behalf. You gave us your word so that we could, so that our faith could build and we could confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. You've done everything short of forcing us to come into relationship with you, to be made right with you, to be at peace with you. But that is your will. You desire that none should perish, but all should come to repentance, to turn away from the life that we're living, to turn away from our life of sin and to turn to you and to receive you as our Lord and Savior. God, you've given us enough information this morning for us to make a decision. Will we choose the wages of sin, which is death, eternal separation from you? There is a real place called hell. And you desire that none go there, but you will allow man to make that choice and to receive their wage. Or you extend your hand of grace to us and you give us eternal life through your Son. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit right now that you help us to determine which one are we. Why are we here this morning?
Are we in right relationship with you, Lord, or do we need to come into right relationship with you? Will you convict our hearts even now? As you continue to pray, I want to give you an opportunity to just declare Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, but you must believe in your heart. If you're here this morning, you don't know that if you died right now, where you would go, would you go to heaven or not? Then right now, you need to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up if that's you. This morning, I'm going to pray a prayer with you. Does anybody in this place need a relationship with Jesus? You need to come in a right relationship to receive the peace of God upon your lives. Anybody at all? I know you're, it's a scary situation. You're like, what am I doing? Acting on faith. If you're listening online, if you're listening on the radio, you can do this too. It's a simple cry out to God, sincere in your heart. Is there anyone here? Just lift your hand up. God sees you. He loves you. He wants to be in right relationship with you. Anyone at all? God bless you. Is there anyone else? God bless you. Is there anybody else? Listen, this is eternity. God bless you. Anyone else? God make, wants to make you right. God bless you. This is not an emotional decision. This is a heart decision of believing in Christ. For those of you that have lifted your hands, will you just pray a prayer with me in your heart? Will you just declare to Jesus this morning, Lord, I thank you for coming for me, for being perfect for me, for being sacrificial for me, dying on the cross for me, and being victorious for me, and raising again from the dead for me. Lord, I want to give you my life today and confess you my God and my Savior. I'm turning away from my sin, God. I'm turning to you today. Wash me clean. Make me a Christian. Make me a follower of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. For those who came to Christ this morning and for each and every person here, Lord, that has come to make a declaration that they believe in you as well. And we ask you, Lord, to just fill our hearts, Lord, with gratitude, with praise, Lord, with adoration for you, and that that praise and adoration would make its way out of our hearts into our lives, that other people would see us and say, what is up with you? Oh, don't you know Jesus rose again from the dead? I worship him. So, Lord, fill us with that joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.